0: Having been to Living Hope uh, Ministries many times, uh, the ministry of South Africa that we do just comes to mean a lot. We always send uh, high school seniors there, and as one of our Above and Beyond videos now, we get to see a bit of what goes on in the ministry with Living Hope in Cape Town, South Africa.
1: Hi, we're John and Edward Thomas, right from the tip of Africa. We're so glad to be with you, Brookwood Baptist Church, to share with you something of what God is doing. Thank you for your partnership. We serve in a ministry which we started 18 years ago called Living Hope. Living Hope began in the year 2000 because I went to the local hospital to a meeting where I was told 44% of the later we found out it was only about 15% but God used that huge daunting challenge stat to kick me and say you're a pastor John in this area, do something." because we used to come into Birmingham every year for a missions conference there. And through that, a team came uh, all the way from Brookwood to Cape Town, South Africa, to serve with us, and the relationship has just grown and grown. One of the ways has been with our Life Skills program. That program is totally faith-sponsored, and we have no donors to that. And Brookwood Baptist members have been amazing in giving us donations so that we can continue to work with children and to reach them for Jesus, and in that way to bring good foundations for them to grow. You've also been very involved in our agricultural training program known as the Harvest Training Initiative, and you've helped in that. You've been very generous as you've come and worked with students at the Harvest Training Initiative, We've so enjoyed that partnership as well. But the most recent partnership, which is life-giving, is that you have given us pure, living water. Yes, exactly. You guys paid for our water purification plant. And you have no idea. We are in the most crippling of droughts at the moment. We have water. You've been amazing partners. And we thank you. And we celebrate your birthday with you. And we look forward to celebrating many, many more birthdays of Brookwood Baptist Church. May God bless you as you continue. Because you are one of the few churches that have understood Jesus' command to care for the poor.
0: The scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 28, verses 30 through 31, and can be found on page 795 of your Pew Bible. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming to the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. This is the word of the Lord. You would go ahead and turn to the page uh, in your bulletin where you see the outline. And it's the page where the staples are going through. And I'm going to refer to that in just a moment. My amazing wife, Deanna, is from South Florida and attended a wonderful church down there, First Baptist Church of Plantation. And uh, down in that area to go to church, you got to really mean it. It's not the in thing to do. It's not the culturally correct thing to do. And that's why I love that church so much. It was smaller than our church here, but uh, just an amazing group of people who would gather together and huddle together on Sundays and Wednesdays, but get out there very intentionally like we do missionally uh, other days of the week as well. And I always remember that uh, I looked in the bulletin the first time I went down there. We worked down there together one summer. And I noticed in the back of the bulletin where it lists the ministerial staff, the first person listed was not Bill Amos, the senior pastor. It said ministers, and it said every member of the congregation, which I thought was kind of cool. And the more i thought about us this year with going above and beyond and being the missionaries we are called to be, not just ministers but missionaries, It reminded me of, you know, when I was the university minister at Sanford, we always would host a missionary in residence, and the more I thought about it, I thought that's who we are, so if you would, look at the page that's opposite where the outline is, and look where it says Brookwood Ministers, because this is what it's going to say from now on. Uh, Before any of the rest of us are listed, it says missionary in residence, and that's you, this is your residence, your spiritual home here at Brookwood Baptist Church, but you're just in residence. This is where you reside spiritually and where you are fed and where you are equipped, but then you go back out as missionaries do who are furloughing as missionaries in residence, but then they go back out to the field where they serve. And I hope you will look at all that what we talk about today through that framework, that you are a missionary in residence here at Brookwood Baptist Church, and that you would really take that to heart. And that's how our staff is going to be listed, by the way, from now on, because you really, it all starts with you. You are a missionary in residence. Now, we begin this morning with unhindered above and beyond missions. And I think that's very appropriate because next week we're going to have the Pledge Sunday. And, you know, leading up to that, we need to be talking about what is in our DNA, as Blake said earlier, which is indeed mission. So I want to talk about unhindered above and beyond missions. Let's look at the final two verses in the entire book of Acts. And I love the way the old revised standard version says it. The rest will be New Living uh, Translation, but right here I just love the way it puts it. Puts it most accurately, I think, from the Greek. And he lived there, this is Paul in prison, he lived there two whole years at his own expense in prison and welcomed all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ quite openly and, what? Unhindered. Unhindered. And what's interesting about this final sentence of the entire missional book of Acts is the syntax is just weird. I don't know how else to put it. Greek scholars have been intrigued by it for centuries, really. It, it, it just kind of ends, and it's open-ended, and it's like the sentence itself doesn't even end. But maybe Luke was intentional with that. Maybe what he's saying is this gospel is open-ended and it didn't end with Paul in prison. It keeps going. And I'm convinced that's what Luke is doing there. Luke was the most educated writer in the entire New Testament. He knew his syntax. He knew his grammar. He left it that way intentionally. So I want us to think about that too and look through that framework along with you being a missionary in residence as we deal with the question what does it take for you and me to be unhindered missionaries of the gospel well first of all the unhindered missionary speaks boldly now after peter's sermon in acts chapter 3 right after the spirit comes in that amazing way in acts chapter 2 he preaches boldly then he heals a man and the jewish leaders get upset cuz he's he's you know starting to to stir things up too much and so they have Uh, Peter and John arrested and put in jail. And the next day, all the key religious leaders gather around, and they're going to interrogate these two guys. And they call Peter and John in, and immediately Peter begins, he takes uh, the initiative and he preaches boldly. Let's look at Acts 4, 10 through 12. He steps up and says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed, that man I healed, and you got upset about that. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For this Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now he's just throwing it out there, flat out, raw, as as to the point as one can be. And, and, and these religious leaders took note of Peter and John's boldness. Look at verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the what? Boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They hadn't been to seminary or anything. I mean, these guys were fishermen, but just the way that they were throwing it out there just to the point and very frankly and boldly, they, they were just very astonished by that. What is it that made it so astonishing though? What made it so astonishing? Well, it has to do with what boldness means there in the New Testament. It's not just talking about being courageous and having a general confidence, really. It's talking about speaking with, with frankness. It talks about speaking with boldness. It's what they said about Jesus, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and after Peter and John are released, they gathered with believers, gathered back again with members of the church, and they prayed for more boldness. If you look at verse 29, it said, Now, Lord, hear their threats, the people who are threatening them for being so bold, and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. In other words, increase our boldness. May our boldness go above and beyond. And indeed, God answers that prayer in verse 31. Then they preach the word of God with boldness, and the word there really connotes increased boldness. Boldness. Now, the word for boldness is interesting in the New Testament because it has to do with speaking. In the Greek, boldness is parousia, which you see there, parousia or parousia, whichever way you want to pronounce it. And in the Greek lexicon, it says this, frankness and a use of speech that conceals nothing. I mean, you're putting it all out there. You're being as transparent as possible with what you are saying. And they were being utterly transparent about where they stood about Jesus. The two uses outside of chapter 4, by the way, I find wonderful. First of all, it says Peter preached boldly in Acts chapter 2. And then the other one is that very last verse in the entire book where it says that Paul preached with boldness and unhinderedness. I think that's so cool. At the beginning, you have Peter. At the end, you have Paul being so bold. These these two book-ended you know, uh, apostolic preachers, the great proclaimers of the gospel, and there they are preaching, speaking boldly. They were outspoken about the identity of Jesus and his significance, and that's the boldness to which you and I are called, which begs the question, when it gets down to it very openly and honestly, how willing are you and I to be bold to speak very frankly, (laughs) Uh, in a non-concealed fashion, in a very transparent fashion, about what Jesus means to us and how we believe that he is the way. How committed are we to that? Or are we just, like a lot of people who do cultural church, mere nice humanitarians? Or do we preach Jesus unabashedly? Let's look at Paul's boldness, by the way, and I just love how it's depicted in his three missionary journeys. And this is part of my missiology class, so just deal with it. And I had to run upstairs because I had forgotten my laser pointer, but here it is. But I just want to look at how Paul is so bold, both in his actions and with his words. Let's look at, you know, you know that he went on three famous missionary journeys, and we're just going to sweep through these. Okay, first journey, Uh, he starts over here in Antioch the church where the people were first called Christians, he goes down toward the Isle of Cyprus. He comes up here to Pisidian Antioch. It's a different Antioch. He goes down to Iconium and Lystra here. When he's in Iconium, he is threatened with being stoned, And so he leaves that town and goes to Lystra, right here, and people start to accept the gospel, but the Iconians came over and stirred up the other people, and Paul was stoned and left for dead. They took him outside the city and stoned him, and they thought he was dead. Paul was revived, and the crazy thing to me is here he is on the, in the hinterlands of Lystra, outside the town. He goes back into Lystra, which is a small town. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows what's happened to him. He goes there and stays for a while. That's rather bold, and he continues to preach Jesus. Okay, so he turns around and goes back from Lystra, Iconium, and kind of goes back around this way, winds up back in Antioch. And what's funny is it says, and he gave a report to the church. You always got to give a mission report to the church. It started after that first uh, that first, uh missionary journey. Now, let's look at, uh, just to review it real quickly, first journey. It took him three years to cover 1,500 miles, and you know, the, he didn't have fast transportation, and he still covered that much. Planted churches in at least nine cities, and that's just the first trip he takes. Now, that's pretty bold right there, both in terms of action and in speech. Well, let's go to the second missionary journey, okay? Go to the next one, go to the map again. Yeah, he crosses over into Europe, he plants churches. Well, let me just say this, he... He plants churches in Philippi, and he's also beaten with rods uh, at Philippi. He plants a church in Thessalonica, and his life is threatened there. He goes to Berea, and he is literally tossed out of the city, but he nevertheless plants churches there and in Athens and Corinth, which was a challenging place as well. So let's look at the map. This time he starts down in Jerusalem, goes back to these places where he was (laughs) stoned and left for dead. He doesn't care. Goes up here, and instead of moving northward to Bithynia, he senses the Macedonian call. He goes over into Europe, founds churches here in Philippi and in Thessalonica, and is threatened. Goes to Berea, is threatened. Goes down here to Corinth, has to escape uh, harm there. And then finally comes back down to Jerusalem. Now, was he worn out or did he increase things? Look at this, just look at the data. This is his second journey, three and a half years to cover 3,000 miles. He doubled it amazingly so at least five more churches that we know of had uh, churches planted in them and then the two earliest writings in the new testament first and second thessalonians were written during this time well maybe he needs to have a break and won't do another trip right wrong let's keep going here's the third journey just amazing this time he starts in antioch goes back through to where he was stoned and left for dead goes back to ephesus stays there for a little while and in fact people at ephesus say don't go back to jerusalem because they're going to kill you they're going to arrest you and, and kill you. But Paul eventually says, I've got to do what God is telling me to do. And if you look down here, look where he winds up. Well, he stays in Ephesus a while. Then he says, well, let's go to these other places where I was beaten with rods in Philippi and threatened in Thessalonica. And let's go down to Berea where I was thrown out. Go down to Corinth where I had to escape all of a sudden. And then he turns around, goes back, and then comes down this way. Again, he knows what's probably going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. But he just wants to follow God's will. So, <laughs> journey number three, it took four years to cover 4,000 miles, 1,000 miles more, wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans. Okay, he makes it to Jerusalem, and he is arrested, as people kept warning him about, so Paul goes to Rome and changed, but what's amazing is the trip that he took, which was really circuitous, it just kind of went all over the place, but you see, he wound up covering a whole lot more ground. He's arrested over here in Jerusalem, but look at where he goes. It's an even longer route, and what's amazing is the way that he was able to speak the gospel boldly in all these places. In fact, here are just a few examples of, uh, you know, he got to share the gospel, speak the gospel boldly with religious leaders, with governors like Felix, with kings, Herod Agrippa, with sailors, and then superstitious islanders on the island of Malta, where also he was, what, snake bit and uh, shipwrecked, so he just continues on, and uh, yeah, they call him the free prisoner. While in Rome, he wrote his prison epistles, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, along with First and 2 Timothy and Titus. He just won't stop. He is what unhindered, just incredible what he was able to do with God's help, obviously. And I think it's so cool. If you look at Philippians 1, which is one of his prison epistles, what does he say in chapter 1? Hey, I'm in prison and this is great. Because it has served to, to further the gospel with everybody. It's being shared all through the Praetorian Guard and all these other citizens. And, and he just praises God that he's in prison and the gospel is still being proclaimed boldly, not just by him, but by others. It's just incredible how unhindered this believer Paul is. Going above and beyond nonstop. Well, all this begs the question again, are you and, are you and I the bold missionaries we've been called to be? Or are we just kind of being nice with each other and doing the church culture thing? Well, let's go to something else. The unhindered missionary finishes empty. The unhindered missionary finishes empty. Someone speaking boldly, who most of us know and hear, since he was diagnosed with ALS, is who? Brian Bonds. And his big mantra based on a couple of sermons he heard. In fact, people are wearing these things on their wrists. You remember what his big theme is right now? Finishing strong and finishing what? Empty. You've seen these. That's one of the uh, wristbands right there. Finishing strong, finishing empty. He's wearing one of those as we speak. And again, Paul no doubt finished well. He finished unhindered, as it says in those final verses of Acts He remained unhindered until the end. And he knew where all of this was taking him. Do you remember I said in Ephesus, people started saying, don't go to Jerusalem. But to me, there's one of the most powerful passages in all of the book of Acts. Acts 20, Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, where he tells these Ephesian elders, I know what awaits, but this is what I got to do. And he says this, I just think it's fabulous. He says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I've got to go. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Look at what he says. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Doesn't matter to me what happens. What did he say in Philippians? For me to live as Christ and to die is what? What did he say? Gain. And my life here is not worth anything unless I use it to finish the work that's been assigned to me that is testifying to the empty tomb. That's what I am about. My life is no value other than that. I've got a race to run. And don't waste that race. You know what he's saying, really? Better to lose your life than to waste it. That's what he's saying. Better to lose your life than to waste. Don't waste it on this race of life. When I think of races, I think of the Olympics recently. But let me go to the Summer Olympics. I was just a kid, but I'll never forget the footage of this in the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. It was late at night. This is the stadium. Most people have, have gone home. Uh, this was the, the, the marathon And the winner of the marathon had uh, uh, finished well over an hour before suddenly this sole runner came in to the stadium, but he couldn't even run. He was limping terribly. Uh, The guy's name is John Stephen Aquari, and some of y'all probably remember this. He took a terrible fall very early on in the marathon, and he was just, you know, every, uh, you know, he couldn't even run. He was just limping the whole way but he was just determined to finish even though the pain was excruciating and he had been bandaged up and he was still bleeding last man to finish and and yet you know what was cool was the crowd stood the crowd that was left stood and applauded as he completed the last lap and interestingly this guy right here this reporter went right up to him right after he crossed the finish line and he said why did you do this you were so badly injured why didn't you quit why didn't you give up And immediately, this is what John Stephen Aquarius said. He said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me to finish. Well, let me say something to you and me. God didn't just send you to start this race. He sent you here to start it and to finish it. There are too many folks who have quit on him. Too many folks who don't really see themselves as missionaries in residence at a church willing to go out and spread the gospel. Well, What about you? Are you going to be willing to finish empty? Paul sure did, and he knew a prize that awaited him. You know this passage in 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8. He starts by saying, "...but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord." Work at telling others the good news boldly and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. And then he says this, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He's he's finishing empty. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me but for all, including you and me, who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Better to lose your life than to waste it. And consider the greatness that awaits you after the race. I love how it's depicted in a figurative literary way in a book by C.S. Lewis. Have you ever heard of the Narnia series, the Narnia books, the Chronicles of Narnia? The very last book is called The Last Battle. And the very last words of that are shared when the main characters all pass away. And it's beautiful. It says, All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Don't you think that's worth finishing empty for? Don't you think that's worth finishing empty But there's one other thing an unhindered missionary does. The unhindered missionary remains unstoppable. The gospel can't be stopped. Again, there's that beautiful word unhindered to describe Paul's ongoing ministry as he finishes empty. That's why I think Luke didn't finish it clearly because the book really the book of acts isn't about paul and it's not about luke it's about how the gospel spread it continued to increase above and beyond the expectations of all people you know you can look at all the opposition that paul faced you can throw him in prison but that doesn't imprison the gospel you can you can kill him but that doesn't kill the gospel. The gospel will find a way. Some of y'all have seen the movie Jurassic Park. The big theme of that is what life finds a way. Well, all the more the gospel finds a way. You can't stop it. It's always found a way. It's been fascinating to me if you do a certain study. Let me just read this and I think it's up on the screen. Every other religion on the face of the earth has 80 or 90% of its adherents in one or two continents. Christianity is the only religion that is represented in every continent, and I don't have all the data, but on every continent, Christianity is significantly representative. No other religion has that. Why is that? Because the gospel can't be stopped. Because it can't be stopped. Why not become a part of that? G. Campbell Morgan was visiting Italy one time and he came upon this old cemetery and went in there and he found a fascinating grave. There was this grave of a very wealthy, prominent man and it was covered by a huge marble slab but apparently an acorn had fallen down and fallen into the grave and that acorn had started to grow and what it did was grew through that slab and eventually it split that slab it had grown through the side of the marble, split the slab, and became a tree to where that whole huge marble slab was split in two and was on either side of the tree. It was a huge tree. And get Campbell Morgan thought to himself and said, that's the gospel. You can't put a marble slab on the gospel. It's the most powerful force on earth. And it's a force that's still moving, and you and I get to be a part of that. As missionaries and residents." So don't waste your life in ministry. You're a part of the most powerful force in existence and a more lasting force. It's really the only one that lasts. I think of the words of C.T. Studd, who himself is a sermon in and of himself, who was really the LeBron James of his day in the 1800s, gave up all of his money, gave up his skill as an athlete and went and became a lowly missionary in China for the rest of his life and died on the mission field. And toward the end of his life, he penned this little poem that isn't great poetry, but it's great prophecy. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That is everything of what Paul is saying. My life is worth nothing unless I carry out this calling to be the missionary in residence God's called me to be. So what about you? Let's pray together. Convict us, O God, to be the missionaries you've called us to be, not just to take up residence here and play the cultural game, but to be bold proclaimers of your word with frankness and without concealment out in the world. Take us above and beyond our fear, our hesitation, our awkwardness, and motivate us to be the missionaries you've called us to be